This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio on a very chilly Halloween. Well, it's chilly for us in San Antonio because (laughs) it is close to freezing. I know everybody else is like, yeah, it's just another Thursday in October, Um, but we are really cold here. Um, And then also it is Juliet Gordon Lowe's birthday. And if you don't know who that is, if you've ever bought a box of Girl Scout cookies, that's the lady you need to say thank you, Juliet Gordon Lowe, because she is the founder of Girl Scouts, and her goal was to create an organization for all, all girls in Savannah, Georgia, which is where she grew up, all girls in the United States, and all girls in the world. So thank you, Juliet Gordon-Lowe, for starting that amazing program and, and um, you know, helping girls everywhere. So, um, and today we have an amazing girl, or wonderful woman. Her name is Michelle Cox. She's the author of the multiple award-winning Henrietta and Inspector Howard series, as well as the novel notes of Local Lore, um, a weekly blog dedicated to Chicago's forgotten residents. She suspects she may have once lived in the 1930s. Having yet to discover a handy time machine lying around, she has resorted to writing about the error and a way of letting herself get back there. Coincidentally, her books have been praised by Kirkus, Library Journal, Publishers Weekly, Booklist, and many others. And hopefully all of you that are listening, when you pick her books up. And unbeknownst to most, Michelle hoards board games that she doesn't have time to play. I understand this well. <laughs> and not surprisingly addicted to period dramas big and big band music and, of course, Marmalade. And who isn't? Because it's fabulous. So you can find her at her <laughs> website and all her social, all her social media um, places that are all in the write-up of the show today. So welcome, Miss Michelle. How are you, my dear? Thank you so much for that introduction. I'm great. <laughs> Good. So you are outside of Chicago. What is your weather like today? Well, shockingly, there is <laughs> snow on the ground. Can you believe it? Wow. In October. Yes, wow. It, yeah, October and it is actually uh, snowing as we speak. So who knows how much oh. we'll have by the time it's trick-or-treating hours. Wow. Uh, yeah, San Antonio is a bit quirky because, you know, everybody buys their costumes so stinking early now. Um, and so – we have these costumes, and then honestly, in here, it's a crapshoot of will it be hot, will it be cold, will it be cool, will it be rainy? We don't know. You know, it could be any season. Um, so this year, wow. we looked out, and it's freezing. Last year, it was a thunderstorm came in during Thanksgiving, uh, during Halloween. Um, wow. So it was like a rush to, you know, beg for candy. And then years before, it's been <laughs> 90 degrees. You know, we, we really don't know. <laughs> So. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah that's, you wild. know, you don't think, we don't think of Texas as, as having that, that much diversity in the weather. I just think of it as being hot all the time. Well, it so is hotter more than, yeah, it, it is hotter more than we probably like it. Um, but, I mean, it okay. snowed this week in Texas. It snowed in up Whoa, in Lubbock in the Panhandle early in the week. Yeah. 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 Crazy gosh, stuff. Weird. Yeah, well, I so it'll be a very interesting that, winter. Yeah, I know. I'm wondering what, you know, what does this mean? <laughs> Are we in for it? <laughs> but luckily, but then, I just have to say this yeah. about Halloween. It's just my daughter, believe it or not, well, like, you're talking about getting costumes so early. She did the same thing. She's 13. And she picked out, you're not going to believe it, a Santa Claus costume. <laughs> 
<laughs> and how it. perfect is this knowing? Yes. I'm like, wow, this is so meant to be. I just can't wait. It's like well, the most you know what I'm waiting ever. to see. I know, but you know, I really want to one year, and maybe I'll just do it myself. I really want someone to come to my door dressed as the holiday armadillo. I really, really want that. <laughs> 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 have that's have that's um, Santa Claus, the holiday armadillo, and Superman all just like walk to my front door. I would love that so much. <laughs> you would dump all the candy in their bag. You I would. would. I would so dump all the candy in there. <laughs> and you know, Superman would have to say, "How you doing?" And we would. That would just be it. He would just get all the candy, <laughs> or she. She would get all the candy. Whoever she. Yes. Uh. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't understand that reference, there's an episode of Friends, which I totally adore that show. But there's an episode of Friends where Ross is trying to get his son to understand Hanukkah because they're Jewish, and he tries to get a holiday costume two days before Halloween, and the only thing he can get is an armadillo. So he, like, dressed as he's the holiday armadillo. It's this crazy, crazy, stupid scene. And I would love to have been the person writing that. Like, where did that come from? Yes. What place in your mind came up with that? But, you know, but any good writer, it's like we all get that, you know, because, like, I'm sure you have people say, why the 1930s? Why are you drawn to that? And it just speaks to you, correct? It does. I mean, the real story is that I've always been, well, I've always been, you know, attracted to the past and stories of the past. Um, But my my big area that I used to really be attracted to was the forties. And when I started writing the first book of the series, a girl like you, I didn't realize it was a series. I thought it was just going to be a one-off and I based it on a woman that I had met in a nursing home. So a lot of the, a lot of book one, it actually really happened in real life. So she, Henrietta, the character is based on this woman so um, when I was interviewing this woman, she had all of these crazy jobs in Chicago in the 30s. I mean, it was just like all the jobs in the book are real jobs that this woman actually had. And mm-hmm. I loved the fact that she was, um, she worked as a, quote, Dutch girl at the World's Fair in Chicago in 1933. And I, I'm like, I have to put that in the book. I just, I have yeah. to. So I shifted to the 30s to, to incorporate that, which now I realize is a dumb thing. But at the time, like I said, I didn't realize that this was going to turn into a series. I'm like, well, I can do it for one book. But, you know, now, of course, I'm, you know, totally there. So, yeah, it's weird. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so where were you working that you talked to this woman initially? Yeah, well, in the 90s, uh, early 90s, I was working um, – it's a nursing home on the northwest side of Chicago, um, still in the city limits, and it was called the Bohemian Home for Orphans and the Aged. Oh, <laughs> so back okay. in the day, it used to also be an orphanage, and um, as well as it, as a place for the elderly. So that is where I met her. I was working there, and you know, I think that was that was pretty common back in. Um, in the day for different ethnic groups and different charities to set up their own, you know, like orphanages or shelters or schools or hospitals. And right. a lot of times parents who couldn't 
a lot of the orphans in these orphanages weren't really orphans. It's just that their parents couldn't couldn't financially take care of them anymore. Maybe one of them died. And so, you know, the sure. husband wouldn't just stick them all in the orphanage. And if, you know, if they he got them out someday, great. But if they, you know, some other family came along and wanted to adopt them, you know, great too. So that was kind of the background for this place where I worked. Of course, when I was there, there's no more orphans, but plenty of elderly. Sure. Was Were yeah, any of so. the people who were there as elderly, were they there as orphans? No, but there there were people who could remember because it was so it's next to this giant bohemian um national cemetery and that whole area was all Czech and by the time I worked there it was turning um there was a lot of Korean people moving in and also a lot of I don't think Puerto Rican but um some other Latin American uh, group but there was okay. still a lot of old Czech and Polish people living in that area. And they would tell me that they could remember coming to the Bohemian home as children because every year the Bohemian home would put on this giant um, picnic and they would invite the community. And so they, they remembered going there as children and playing on the ground. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's so much history there. Well, and, you know, I'm looking at your blog, and you've got this wonderful blog, like I mentioned, Novel Notes of Local Lore. And you have, you feature somebody new every week that tells you their story. Yeah, those are, that's all from the nursing home. So wow. all those stories, yeah, were stories that I gathered. So they really are two stories. I did change the names just to protect the innocent, but um, otherwise, uh, those are all you know, really, really true. And I mean, every, not everyone, but so many of them could be novels in their own right, or at least, you know, the jumping off point for a novel. Sure. Are these pictures that you're using, are these, yeah, are the pictures that you're using for the articles, are those from the people themselves or are they, are these stock photos? They're pretty much stock photos. They're they're really not stock photos. Yeah, they're just um, photos that I'm using. Some of them are real, but those are pretty okay. hard to come by. Sure. So yeah. Because I wasn't sure, and you know, bl- how willing people were willing to share. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were willing to share their story. I mean, because they're just sitting there. I mean, that was the the great thing. And and I've I've told this story before that I was actually hired um, to be the admissions director, and I. I was really, really terrible at it because my job, I didn't realize at the time, was to sell beds or to, you know, schmooze hospital discharge staff, chase ambulances, that kind of thing. And that really wasn't my thing. I was never in my office, never on the phone. I was always out on the floor talking to people because it was so fascinating. And, um, you know, helping them with their roommate or they lost their sweater or whatever. So finally, the administrator called me in, and he said, you know, um, <laughs> this isn't working. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to be fired. And he said, no, you know what, we're going to move you into social service. I mean, keep in mind, I had an English degree. So I'm like, well, I don't have a social work degree. And he's like, it doesn't matter. So um, th- then it became my job is to sit with people and to, to get their story. And, yeah. Um, yeah. 
I was supposed to only write just like a tiny paragraph to put in the chart. So, you know, staff would have some sort of reference as to who this person was. But I would write yeah. pages and pages and pages and pages. And no one ever told me not to. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> didn't have a, a whole lot of oversight. But the staff would come up to me and they would say, oh, we read the latest one. It was great. <laughs> I know. Isn't it so sad? Blah, blah. So, yeah, they, it had a, they had a great reception even then. And so then when I was kind of, you know, um, starting to write and I had a publicity company help me and they said, you know, you need a blog. I'm like, God, yeah. you know. I don't want to write a blog and I don't, I don't know what to write about. And, you know, the world does not need yet another blog on writing. So uh, finally I came up with this idea and they're like, yeah, we love it. And um, so I started it and oddly it has its own little following um, separate from the book. I mean, there's obviously some crossover, but um, yeah, there's, it's, it has its own little, you know, fan group that, waits every week for the new story to come out. Well, I mean, you've gone all the way back to 2015. I mean, you've got a tremendous amount. So if anybody's just starting, you know, they've got plenty of material to read. But, I mean, (laughs) like you're saying, I can't imagine, you know, everybody thinks their life's like, okay, yeah, so I did a few things. It's not a big deal. But to someone else listening to it, it's got to be really fascinating. And I would think that, a lot of times people are like, oh, wow, I haven't even thought of that in a long time. Or um, it, it just kind of seeing them kind of light up and say, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I did do those things. Um, yeah. And the process, yeah. Right. And I I've, I, mean, I was fascinated by these stories. And, and it was great for the people coming in because I would sit with a, a new resident for like a, a week, maybe two weeks. Mm-hmm. To just, you know, draw the stories out of them. And that was great for them because they felt like somebody really cared and somebody wanted to hear the stories that they've told their family already a million times and who you know, right. doesn't want to hear it again. Yeah. So it was good. It was good for me. And I really believe that it was good for them. I think it was really good for the staff to see this person in a more full light instead of just, you know, a paragraph. They used to live at blah and they used to do blah. Right. Well, and I'm sure, though, too, there's probably stories that they're like, man, I've never told anybody that or or even their family's going, well, they never told me they played basketball or, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right? that was what my mother-in-law is is very petite woman and um, she's in her 80s and she was talking about something. I can't remember what it was. And she said, um, well, yeah, when I played basketball, and I said, what do you mean you played basketball? It's like I, I've known you for 20-plus years. I said, you played basketball? And she's like, well, yeah, we played basketball. And and she was on the team and everything, and I'm like, what? And so I asked my husband, I said, did you know this? And he's like, no, I didn't know this. And I'm just like, really? I mean, it seems like something that it would be conversation. But people just think, oh, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't a big deal, right. so what's the point? Yeah, you know, exactly. It, it, yeah. And so I can't imagine how absolutely full of nuggets of information that you take from those <laughs> stories and go, okay, I'm going to put that in this story and I'm going to tuck that over there. And I didn't know this happened. I mean, how how do you sort it initially and then how do you sort it later? Like, Or is it all at one time that you 
put it in these little pockets of knowledge? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, because like I said, I feel like I, I have this sort of, um, gravitation towards stories of the past. So, you know, I was the kid at, you know, family gatherings that was always kind of sitting and listening to the, to the older people talk about how they used to can blah, 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 or mm-hmm. what happened the time a hobo wandered by the farm or whatever it was. And so I've, I've sort of been collecting these stories in my mind since I was a little kid. And I've, I've, I've read, you know, almost the whole canon of classic literature. I've watched almost every period drama ever made. So I, I just, and then I would, then I got this amazing job listening to stories. It's like, how perfect was that? So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, at the time when I was writing the stories, you know, it's just basically, you know, listen, record. But, yeah, I definitely pull from those stories and pull from my own, you know, family stories and stick them into novels. And it's really not planned. It just occurs to me as I'm writing, like, oh, this would be a great place to put the part where, you know, blah, blah, blah happens. So I think it's something that just sort of, kind of rounds out the stories or, or um, I guess we should differentiate and say novels because I do use a lot of that, those details in novels. And so people often say to me, wow, you must have done so much research for these books and mm-hmm. have done some, but some of it is just there anyway. That makes sense. Right. Well, and hearing it from the person who experienced it, you can read it out of a book, but I mean, there's something about hearing someone's personal narrative um, instead of just reading it is I think just a lot, just really stirs a lot more creativity for writers is, are you, do yeah. the same thing happen with you? Yeah. 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 Because you can, as they're speaking, you're, you can imagine it. It's like, it starts to play in your mind, almost like a movie and you're writing it down, but it's also playing recording kind mm-hmm. of in your mind. Oh so, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Have the family? Uh, do you let the families know that you're interviewing their their uh, loved ones, and then do they get a copy of the story as well? No, I mean, like I, this would you know happening when the, their loved one was being admitted. So this is like ninety, ninety one, ninety two, ninety three. Sure, sure. So all of these people, I'm sure, are gone by now. But um, okay. So sometimes though, people would come in. And you, you know, you can tell their, you know, their memory is they have dementia or something where it's not a reliable memory. And so um, a lot of times I would try to interview the families as well um, sure. to sort of, you know, verify what this person is saying or even to just add a different dimension to it. And some of them were very, um, very, very, very willing you know, it's, it was kind of probably a therapy for them. Like somebody wants to hear the story of their struggle with their parent, and um, they were glad to, to share and glad yeah. that somebody was interested. But other family members were very closed and really didn't want to talk to me, and that was fine too. So, you sure. know, it it was it's. But did they ever get to read the story? No, I mean. I didn't even think about it at the time. Um, I would have shared it with them, but didn't occur to me. Yeah, because it seems more well, like it's in their file. part of the job, right? Right. 
So, but I mean, they if they wanted the file, they could they could get it as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you have four books in the series, correct? A Girl Like You, A Ring of Truth, A Promise Given, and A Veil Removed are the four. Yes. You have mm-hmm. out right now. Okay. And so do you have more in the series coming? Yeah. Because you've got, uh, it's like um, A Veil Removed is your the most recent? Yes, that came out just in April. Okay. So it's not quite a year old yet. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that one came out before uh, in April. And then book five, A Child Lost, uh, comes out uh, next April. So April 2020. Okay. Yeah. So do you, you write about a book a year? Is that um, your the pace <laughs> or is that, I mean, with the juggle of everything else that goes on in your world? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is the um, – <laughs> my pace right now, although in 2018, I challenged myself to write two books. So I wrote book five of the series. And then I also wrote a standalone again, based on one of these stories. Um, yes. Which I was able to, you know, blow up even bigger. And that one I'm currently um, kind of shopping around okay. uh, to see where, where that goes. I'm kind of hoping to get a different publisher. Sure. So I'm working on So, yeah, in 2018, I wrote two books, and that almost killed me. Um, <laughs> and then I said, okay, I'm going to stop for a while, but then I couldn't, and I started another whole one again based on a story. So sure, I'm working sure. on that one right now. Well, so um, NaNoWriMo is coming up you know, tomorrow. <laughs> um, and for, and for people who don't know what NaNoWriMo is, it's, it's a write a novel in a month book, you know, book contest. And it's really kind of, you're challenging yourself to write your crappy first draft and, and anybody listening, um, who thinks they're going to sit down and just write from beginning to end or, you know, the perfect book and won't be edited. You, you won't. Um, but <laughs> that's fine because I think the big thing that the nano event is supposed to do is just to get you to finish the project and then go back and fix it. Um, and a lot of people I've talked to is like, well, I started with NaNoWriMo. I thought I could write a book. Um, what was your catalyst to sit down and say, you know what? I think I'm going to write a book. Um, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I think I always wanted to write a book, but didn't really, I never really thought I was a good enough writer because I'm writing, you know, I'm reading until probably age 40, only classic literature. So I, it didn't mm-hmm. occur to me to write a novel because I knew I could never write, you know, Pride and Prejudice. I knew I could never write Great Expectations, so why bother? Sure. But sure. then after my third kid was born, my brain kind of turned to mush. And so I I get this more. so much. <laughs> right. So I started reading um, a lot of contemporary historical fiction, which was kind of like reading the classics, but easier. So um, yeah, not to not 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 to diss anybody. I mean, I'm I'm writing historical fiction too, so it's a, you know huge. Oh yeah, I know that the, just the, the language itself is different. So yeah, not right. sentence structure, all of that. So yeah, yeah I. Um, I didn't ever think that I could, you know, produce something like that. But then, like I said, I started reading more contemporary fiction. I'm like, hmm, maybe I could do that. And then 
um, really, it didn't come to a head until my oldest was diagnosed with ADHD as a sophomore in high mm-hmm. school. I know it's a long story of how that all happened. But <laughs> anyway, I, you know, kind of freaked out because I I was doing all this volunteer work. I was, you know, on all these committees and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just had this moment where I'm like, you know, what, what the heck are you doing? You know, you're out helping mm-hmm. people, you know, all week and, you know, your kids need you and, I felt like the second one might have some um, learning issues as well after I started researching mm-hmm. all of this. And so I just, you know, cold turkey quit everything, which is really hard for me. So I just said, that's it. I quit everything and I'm just going to focus on these kids. Well, right. that's great. <laughs> but that, you know, it didn't really take that long to get them, you know, a therapist and medication and, um, you know, a tutor and all this kind of stuff. And there's not a whole lot I can do. So that, then I had this huge glut of time. And right. I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm, I can either go back to all this volunteering. I could, you know, join new volunteer groups, which sounded kind of intriguing, or I could get a job or I could write a novel. So I yeah. decided that I really felt like I was getting lots of signs along the way as well like you know you should be doing this like I think four different people in four different aspects walks of my life came up to me randomly and said you should write a book I'm like okay so yeah. after the fourth one I'm like okay maybe I should be listening to this so I thought all right I'm going to try it so that was the thing it was it was not to get published it was not to be make money, be famous, any of that. It was just to actually see if I could sit in a chair long enough to, mm-hmm. to write a book. And that's what happened. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And your first book was, the, was uh, did your, yeah, did your first book, was it, so all of us have a book, they're like, it's never going to see the light of day. Some have more than one. Um, did you, was this book published or is it the book that's like, no, yeah, that was my it's, starter it's book. book? Yeah, it's a starter book for sure. I mean, I, I passed it out to family and friends, and they're like, oh, my God, it's amazing. What are you going to do with it? And I thought, you know, I don't know. I, isn't this good enough? I wrote a book. And they're like, no, you should publish right. it. No, and I had no idea what that involved. If I had known, I would never have done it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it just – I tried to shop it for, like, a year, and it just went nowhere. And I thought, you know what, I I need to start over. So, that one got put in the drawer, as they say, and I started yes. over with um, a girl like you. And it's it is interesting though, the, because the people who have read it occasionally will say to me, "Hey, when are you gonna ever do anything with that first book? We really liked it." I'm like, "Well, that's mm-hmm. kind, <laughs> but I've already <laughs> stolen so many characters from that book that I, you know, it would just have to be completely redone." Right, maybe someday, but but it's Im- right, but it's important. I mean, it's it's interesting because I I don't know if you ever watched Modern Family, but there's an episode where um, Jay keeps saying, "Well, I could write a book," and Gloria says, "Fine, sit down and write it." And he has he's sitting there, and I think he gets like two, four sentences, and and they're all crap, and he can't finish anything, and he's got some. Um, stupid typewriter he's using and then of course Manny comes in and um, his stepson and they start talking um, but it was the challenge of can you write it oh yeah I can write it it's not hard and then he's just 
staring at the computer or the typewriter. Um, <laughs> and, and I think we've all done this, you know, especially when we're starting. Even in each book is like that, I think, that we all sit there. Right. And some of us have it like the book. We like, we know what we're writing. And every once in a while you're blessed <laughs> with that moment of, I got it. You know, I got it. It's going to just all vomit on the page, and it does. Other times it's just <laughs> like trying to, you know, pull a brick uphill. Um, yes. So yeah, it's um, it's a process for sure. And but finishing that first book, I think, is, I'm sure you thought, okay, I did it. I can do this. Right. Well, yeah, it's the struggle. Finish yeah. the one. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes so I'm kind of laughing too easier. because. There was a book years ago that I remember finding at, I think it was Barnes & Noble. It was called Clara's Kitchen. And it was about this little woman who's from, I should say little woman, a a, a woman in her 90s that um, her grandson, and she sat down and she told all these stories about these dishes that she'd make. Um, And she's from Chicago. And um, okay. I, you know, she's 94 at the time. I'm sure she she may have passed by now. I don't know. Um, she's kind of feisty, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, but she would talk about, um, and I got to talk to her because I covered her book. But I got to talk to her oh. about these, you know, these different stories. And it's kind of like what you're saying. People are going, "What? I had no idea." And one of the things she talked about was, you know, there, they'd have freezers in the 30s. Yeah. You know. Um, right. And so they would get their extra food, like if they wouldn't eat the roast, they wouldn't finish it. Um, so they would wrap it in, I guess, butcher paper or something, and it would be so cold and it would be snow. Her mom would say, take this and put it by the third fence post in the snow. And then, like, you know, a week later she'd go, okay, go out to the third fence post to get the roast. It would be in the snow the whole time. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it was these that's these kind of stories. Story. Like, yeah, like what you're saying is that's what you know. Okay, what do we have around us that we can use to survive? Yeah, and and I'm I'm sure when you were talking and collecting all these stories, and then some of them have made them into your books. People are going, what? People did what? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's so many have you had stories yeah. like. There was, I, I, and I heard this story from a couple of different residents, so I feel like it's true. Um, and remember, a lot of these, well, all of these people, well, that's the thing. That this, they have to connect to Chicago somehow. So at some point, right. they, they were living in Chicago. So they would tell me that even, you know, living in apartments, they would, no one ever locked their apartment door. And on summer Mm -hmm. nights when it was really hot because they had no air conditioning, they would all actually just go out onto the beaches on, on Lake Michigan (laughs) and just lay there. They would, they would sleep on the beach. And I'm like, weren't you afraid that, you know, someone was going to attack you or murder you or whatever. And they're like, no, you know, it wasn't like that. We all looked out for each other and blah, blah, blah. So I found that incredibly fascinating. Do you think it, it, so? It was more of a camaraderie, like we're all just trying to survive here. Pretty much, yeah. And they would go. There's a scene in in A Girl Like You where Henrietta has to go down to the armory, and where they would give out free food during the Depression. And she said it was a very um, 
it, it was very much a camaraderie and people would trade things. So, you know, you might get a free, you know, bag of sugar or whatever, and somebody else would get a block of cheese and, you know, if you, they would trade and it was a real sense of trying to help each other, trying to help each other survive, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what is, um, so what is the, um, let me see here. What is the strangest story anybody told you and that oh, you used boy. in your story and you used in your book? Oh, um, well, this, okay. The strangest story that I've, I used in the book was probably, there's a lot of strange stories, but I haven't used them all yet. But the one that I did use is the, okay. So in book one, um, Henrietta is persuaded to um, try out to be an usherette at a burlesque club. So okay. um, this happened in real life. So this woman really did go try to be an, an usherette. And, and just to be the usherette, you had to interview and you had to audition. So you're just going to be the girl going around selling cigarettes and, you know, peanuts, mm-hmm. but still they had to audition. So she said when she got to the audition, the line was all the way around the block. That's how desperate these women were to just have this job. So when they finally, when it was finally your turn, she had to get up on stage and she had to like kind of do like in a chorus line. And um, she was shocked because she had to show off her legs. She had to turn around and lift her skirt, show her butt. And then whoever was in, you know, running the audition would just go down the line and say left, right, left, right, left, right. And if you were on the left, you would have to go to the left and there was a little door and it led right out into the alley. And that was it. You're done. If you you were picked for right, you went into this little room and you had to stand in there like cattle and wait. And then you, all the ones that were left would have to come back out and do the whole thing again. So, okay. That whole scene, I wrote that whole scene into the book. And when Henrietta gets there, I'm not going to give too much away, but when she gets there, there were very strict rules about, you know, who could touch you, who could not. Um, Mm -hmm. They had to go to the bathroom in pairs because they were afraid that they would be attacked by the customers. And when Henrietta gets there, so she's all afraid of the, you know, these guys. She's in real life. She's a very innocent, very virtuous woman, even though she was really a bombshell. She was really a knockout. And I mm-hmm. talk about that in the book. And so she, um, she was all, you know, really worried about these guys, but really <laughs> most of the women who worked there were all lesbians and she didn't know that. And so they kind oh. of, you know, came on to it. Yeah, this is all real they kind of came on to her and she said, Oh my gosh, no, I'm, I'm not like that. And as soon as she said that they became her protectors. And so they would, because I think they felt like she was this very innocent person in this very bad place. Mm -hmm. So they became her friends and protectors and they would invite her to their parties after the show. And, you know, here's me in the nursing home, like furiously writing this down. (laughs) Really? Then what happened? So, yeah, and she would talk about how actually 
you know, what actually happened at those parties and um, very interesting stuff. You know, you're not, this is not what you're thinking, you know, when you're asking grandma at Christmas, you know, <laughs> what she did in thirties. Yeah. Hey so, grandma, yeah. tell us about the time you auditioned for the burlesque show. What? You know, I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to ask you her. You were by a gang of lesbians who, you know, helps you out. It's not what you're thinking. Wow, so, yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah, you're right. I would be writing like crazy. Actually, I might even be so shocked that I'd be just sitting there listening. Um, uh, yeah. Not that it would be unheard of, but it's like to actually hear someone who went, who was there. Um, right. Exactly. Would just be that firsthand yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. And I will because say though can, that yeah. um, that just going back to your question for a second about the families hearing the stories. When I first started writing this blog, I actually kept the names the same. And okay. I had a guy contact me from some somewhere in Canada through through my website and he said, "I loved your latest story. Um that's my aunt Clara." I'm like, <laughs> "What?" Like, how oh my god! Like, well, she's dead, and yeah. So <laughs> he was very surprised and proud of the fact that I had written about his his aunt, and he was actually able to give me a few extra details, which was great. So a few times that happened, but um, then I decided to change the names just to be on the same yeah, side. Yeah, I wasn't I, sure if a family would really like that or not. Well, sure. Sure. It's like, what do you mean? No way. Um, and yeah, it's very interesting um, things that come out during different periods of life. Um, I, one of the, Carrie Fisher was just like this brilliant storyteller and she talks about all these stories her mom would just like randomly tell them. Um, and so I was reading, it was in wishful drinking and it was kind of that same thing. Like <laughs> Debbie Reynolds was like, Oh, did I tell you about the time this happened? And she'd be like, no. And, and Debbie would tell this like crazy story and she'd like, wait, Oh, okay. And just walk out of the room and Carrie would be like, what, wait, what? There's gotta be more. Um, <laughs> it's, it's those wonderful nuggets that people just don't think is a big deal. Um, right. but you know, of course to us, it's all new. Um, so, so, and speaking of new, you've got this book coming out in April. So tell us what's coming with your fifth book. Well, the fifth book is, you know, a continuation, of course. Um, this series is a little different. It's not the type of series where you can just read it out of order. I mean, a lot of okay. people have. A lot of people started with four for some reason, and um, they thought, it, you know, it read fine. They were able to pick up in the middle of the story, but it's really more a progressive series because each book has a little mystery in it that's resolved, but it's really more about this, all these characters and how their, their whole, you know, storyline is progressing along. So by the time we get to five, and I try to end each book on a little cliffhanger so that, you know, sure. you're intrigued to read the next one. Um, so book five picks up right where, Four ends, um, and by this point, Henrietta's uh, younger sister, who was never really meant to have a big role in the series, but she somehow does. So by yes. book four and five, she's having the same amount of playtime, airtime as 
Henrietta does. And I'm getting a lot of feedback from fans saying, we love the Elsie story. So that's kind of fun too. And I would love to spin her off at some point into her own series. But um, she has discovered, um, she's befriended this custodian at a women's college and she has discovered that he has this little girl in his care. And um, so she has to try to get to the bottom of it. She's an an epileptic, which um, in in the thirties, there was actually a colony downstate Illinois where these um, epileptics were sent to live with um, other, yeah, mentally handicapped people, deformed people. They had to go live in a colony. So, it's okay. kind of Elsie's and this custodian's sort of quest to find this girl's mother and to try to, you know, save her from that. They, it, it leads them to an insane asylum in Chicago, okay. a very famous insane asylum, very dark place. So a lot is a lot of the story takes place there. And then meanwhile, Clive and Henrietta, Elsie's trying to convince them to help her, help them. So she, that part of their time is helping them and they get involved in in insane asylum as well and blah, blah, blah. But there's also this spiritualist that they're supposed to be investigating. And, you know, Clive, of course, who's the inspector, you know, thinks this is a huge hoax and, you know, he assumes Henrietta thinks so too, but shockingly she starts to kind of believe what this person is saying. And so that it's a whole other story that's, that is progressing along. So a lot, lot, lot going on in this book. Wow. And did, were you able yeah. to go visit the actual building uh, where this uh, institution was in Chicago? No, it's been demolished. No, it's gone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They, and actually they found, uh, there, was a, there was a story in the Trib, which I dug up, uh, no pun intended, um, where they have <laughs> uncovered, I think, the bodies of 38,000 people oh, from gosh. the surrounding area. Yeah, I mean, there were some... Th- it was surrounded by, you know, legit cemeteries, but um, some of them were just mass graves. So, yeah, that's all gone. It's, I think, like a park now. Wow. Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. just interesting, the history. And, you know, I know, you know, you go to Europe and stuff's been there for centuries. And and I know we talk right. about history in the United States, but it's it's definitely different, but it's still history, you know, and, and there's still stories sure. to be told. Um, and so I'm so excited that you reached out to me and, you know, Michelle was so nice to say, Hey, I listened to your show, which was lovely to know. And then, um, she also said, um, can I be on it? I'm like, absolutely. So I'm so glad we were able to find, and it's perfect because it's Halloween. So you're talking about all sorts of fun stuff and going undercover and wearing costumes and, you know, all sorts of cool stuff in your stories. So I love it. Great. Yeah, it's, this has been great. And you've got events coming up. So you have something coming up this weekend. Um, you'll be doing, let's see, um, a, an author event here, Local Author Day at the library? Yes, I'm going to be in Naperville, um, and it's their second annual author day. And they're actually, I think there's going to be like 26 authors and some, okay. you know, kind of big names. So Renee Rosen, Mary Kubica, um, Melanie Johnson, they are going to be there and myself as well. So that'll be fun. Lovely. Um, yeah, mingling with readers. 
And then you also have an event coming up in January here in Texas. Yes. This, I went last year for the first time. I don't know if you know Kathy Murphy, the Pulpwood Queen. She's yes. amazing. Um, she's great. She And she has this sort of girlfriend weekend, she calls it, in um, Jefferson, yes. Texas. She has started, I think, 750 book clubs across the country and even in other countries. So she is a real force. Um, for literacy and for authors and readers and trying to connect those two. So it is unlike any conference you have ever gone to. This is just one big old party. (laughs) I love it. She's great. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I am looking forward to seeing all your successes, and please come back and talk to us when book five is out. I would love to. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Patricia. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So stay warm. And all of you, that was Michelle Cox. She is at michellecoxauthor.com, and all her social media links are in the write-up of the show. So go check out her books. You've got four to catch up on before book five comes out in April. Thank you so much, and keep reading, everybody. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe, and welcome to our circle. 